Welcome to the Planted Mindset Podcast, Episode 2, and I bring you a guest onto this show. We're talking everything mindset. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversations that we had. I could have kept talking for ages. There was so much that I wanted to ask, but hopefully you'll enjoy it. It was with none other than Matt Mullen, England international rugby star, capped 17 times, talking about everything mindset in rugby, but also how he's moved into personal training. He has his own business now and he recently did a cover model shoot. So he got himself into amazing shape, absolutely amazing. Um, And how he has used his mindset to achieve his goals. I hope you enjoy the episode. So hi Matt, um, welcome to the Planted Mindset podcast. So how are you doing? Very well, thank you. End of a busy day. Yeah, I'm so sure you've, you've been busy as well. Yeah, so you've got a lot on, but um, I want you to just give me um, a little synopsis of about, tell me about yourself and um, how you, uh, where you're at now actually, but how you got to be where you are. So um, probably easiest to start right at the beginning. Um, I went straight from school into professional rugby. It was a bit of a a risk at the time. I remember because rugby hasn't been a professional for as long as other sports. It was kind of quite new in its infancy. And a lot of people at school at the time were telling me not to do it. So was you always good at school? Like, was it? um, Yeah, I, I played for the England age group. So that starts under 16 and then play for England under 18s. So it was something that was at the forefront of my mind. But being perfectly honest, I didn't really fancy university. Right, I, never, okay. I, w- I would have probably gone because that was what everybody else did. But I wasn't really, I didn't have my heart set on going to university. But I did apply for university just in case. And my parents in particular were really keen for me to have a, a backup option. And I deferred for a year, deferred for another year. And then by that third year, I was like, I'm going full gun. I'm just going to give this rugby my best shot and um i stayed in the game for sort of i don't know 15 years i think it was 14 14 years before i was forced to retire in january so obviously um i've I've done my research on you so i knew obviously you played for (laughs) england but to me rugby is a tough game i mean that's it's physically tough um on the body obviously um how is it for you mentally psyching yourself up to play a game? I mean, because that's you've got to be really, really focused and, and there, haven't you? I mean, how, how do you or how did you get yourself ready for every game? And especially, obviously, when you were wearing an England shirt. I actually think in many ways the, the England aspect is some of the easier games to get up for mentally. Um, when you get into England camp, everything while you're in camp for that week, the build up to the game, because you're in a hotel for that week, everything is geared around making you as a team and as an individual feel your best, almost feel like a million dollars when you walk onto the pitch. So that's physical preparation. Obviously you've got added recovery. You haven't got distractions of home life or normal day-to-day activities. All your food is a hundred percent catered for, you can go to bed when you wish. You get your own room towards the end of the week. 
you've got access to spa, massage, recovery. Everything's geared around you, you feeling amazing. And um, training's a bit tougher because obviously you've got, at the beginning of the week, you've got 30 of the best players in the country and then it gets whittled down a bit when boys get sent back to their club. So by the end of the week, you've got 23 of the best players in the country technically. So the, the standards go up. Um, and also when you're standing there, you don't need, it, need any added motivation. So you kind of feel on it. And a lot of people say things like, what's it like at Twickenham when people are singing Swing Low? And also, genuinely, you don't actually notice it too much. Because do you, you're do so you feel focused the pressure, though? You do, yes. But um, at various points in my career, because I was going to touch on the injury aspect, but various points in my career, I'd worked with uh, sports psychologists. And I think some of that work carried over into those times I was actually in the England camp. And when you have full belief in how you've prepared for the game, and you know that the team have prepared brilliantly. You have a lot of trust in you can focus in just doing your job. So in many ways, the the England aspect was the easier stuff to deal with. Um, the, so the it almost pro- like autopilot, like you're in the zone and you're yes, there prepped yeah. and you just hit the fire button. Yeah, basically. And um, your your main drive when you're playing for your club or growing up as a child is, is trying to aim for that England that it's like the pinnacle. So you don't sit back on your laurels and think I've made it, but you don't have the added, like when you're playing for your club week in, week out, it's tough mentally because you have five weeks off as almost like a school holiday. Um, mm-hmm. So you're away from the club for five weeks, but then you have say a 10 week preseason all the way through, which would start sort of end of June, July time. And then the season wouldn't finish till the end of May. So you're kind of on it almost every weekend. So the first weekend of the season officially would be the first weekend in September. You probably have three or four weekends prior to that in August with warm-up games. So from the beginning of August all the way through to the end of May, you're having to get up and down mentally and emotionally for these games. And it just becomes a long slog and grind and um, it's really interesting you ask about the mental aspect because when you speak to people about being a professional sportsman, their instant reaction is, wow, that must be amazing. You've got your dream job. And it is, don't get me wrong, it's unbelievable. And it never felt like going to work, but not many people appreciate the mental aspect of the game. And as we, you just mentioned, which I will speak on a little bit further down the line about the injuries, but that mindset, I mean, how did you feel when you first put on the England shirt? Uh, it was unbelievable. I actually had, just trying to link it to an injury indirectly, my first cap, um, I'd just come back from a really bad injury. I'd only had three games back playing for Worcester. So I was actually working with a sports psychologist to try and get some confidence back because it was quite a bad injury. And I'd only had, I think I played about 10, 15 minutes the first week, about half an hour, and then started that third week. So I hadn't had much time on the pitch. And then to get thrown into that environment, I was quite young at the time and it was a bit of an eye opener and I, I was really thankful that I had invested in that additional help mentally. Cause I remember standing there, um, my family had come out to watch, it was in Rome, it was Italy away and my family were there. And I just remember feeling really calm and it almost wow. being surreal that you were looking out at the crowd, we sing your anthem. It's something you'd always dreamt of and you're in this moment. Wow. And then, um, just thoroughly enjoying it. And I think it was because I'd put that hard work in preparing myself for it with the psychologist prior to that event. 
So do they, I mean, do the, uh, certainly in the England side, uh, help you prepare mentally with the psychologist, but is that something that you took on board yourself, um, obviously because of the injury? Yeah, my... my um... And was that your knee or your shoulder? No, no, this was um, actually my hamstring at the time. Oh, that, yes, um, you tore the hamstring, didn't you? Yeah, I ripped my hamstring off the bone at the time. <laughs> yeah, um, which was probably the most painful injury I'd had across my career. And was um, that through a tackle? It was a complete freak accident. Uh, for people that know about rugby, I was going into a ruck and somebody's leg had swung around and took my other leg and somebody on my own team had pushed me over. So I kind of, if you imagine being on skis or something, Basically, my uh, legs did the splits and my chest went towards the floor. Uh, Complete freak accident out of nowhere. Um, oh, uh, yeah. So I, I, I think I was out for about 13 or 14 weeks in the build-up to this. And I'd completely lost confidence. I knew that the England possibility was around the corner. And I, through the help of Worcester at the time and the physio department, I sought a specialist in recovering from severe injuries. Okay. Uh, so I saw this lady off my own back at the time to just purely get ready in the eventuality of playing for England. That's quite, I mean, obviously, because you're quite young, that's um, quite a, a forethinking idea to, to do. And is it not something that they would naturally um, encourage? Um, I mean, we, we are hearing a lot more about, you know, the importance of mental health and understanding that. And I think sport's the best example of building mental strength because as you say it's not just in the game itself but it's overcoming those injuries and that's probably the most difficult time isn't it so when you can't actually play so how how did you what did she teach you or what what process did you work towards to, to keep that mindset um obviously positive well i think uh looking back at the time a lot of my I remember talking specifically about things like feeling heavy on the pitch or like I couldn't run. I was almost stuck in treacle and a lot of it came back to just anxiety. So it was trying to control what I could control or focus my attention on elements that wouldn't allow me to drift off and be feeling like I was stood still in the game, thinking about all this stuff that I couldn't control. And that's what I, I think trying to remember how I was before my injury trust in what I'd done in my rehab and pick out positive aspects from the three games I'd played allowed me to go into that, that first cap with confidence. And did you find once you got on the pitch and started playing it all slotted into place and you could calm down? Yeah. Like I said, I think um, because you're so focused on doing your job for the team, because it means so much in that particular moment, I think you forget about all those other things. Your your mind's very clear at the time. And for whatever reason, it, it seemed to go, I only got, I think, 25 minutes on the pitch, um, but it, it went by in a flash and um, it, it went as well as it could do. And thankfully, it wasn't one of those moments that I look back and close my eyes and think, oh no, what happened now? It's definitely fond memories. And for a first cap, it, it could have got a lot worse. And I, 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 one of the questions I do have um, for further down the line was one of your greatest moments. So maybe that will be it. You'll tell me later. But when you when you come off the pitch, what's that feeling like? And how do you then, then I would imagine that the, the mind races about everything you did do, anything you could have done, um, and then obviously gearing up for the potential next game. H how do you deal with the mindset after a game? 
Yeah, I, it's really interesting that you've asked that. I think the, the 24 hours post-game was probably the most difficult time for me across my whole career in terms of letting go of the game. There were certain nights, it's, it's obviously worse when you're playing at 7.30 at night because in the build-up to the game, you take supplements to help you play and most of it's based around caffeine. So oh, okay. you've, got that, <laughs> you've got that element. But there were nights even kicking off at 2.30 on a Saturday where I'd spend the whole night awake and not go to bed until the Sunday night. And most of it was based around either being sore from the game but mentally not being able to switch off. I'd find yeah. myself just sat watching TV trying not to think about the game and you're just replaying the game of every little aspect of could you have done that better or is that going to get picked out in the review or um, then preparing again saying well if I didn't do that next week that'd be better or oh, I did that well this week and or then immediately jumping to oh, okay we've played Gloucester today we've got Leicester next week what do I need to do or just it's that constant merry-go-round of because the games come so thick and fast I found that very hard to switch off from. I was going to say, you, you don't really hear that side of the game. I mean, it gives me an analogy of, of, say, pop stars, you know, when they go onto stage and they sing and that euphoria because that many people are watching. And mm. like you say, how to, to deal with that downtime because it's such a contrast, isn't it? You, you know, one minute you're in front of however many thousands of people and then, then eventually at one point, like you say, you can't get to sleep. You're laying in your bed and, you, you know, how, how do you switch off? I mean, do they, did they not give support or, or is, you know, did they um, employ techniques of mindfulness and things like that, meditation? Or, or no. that was not really heard of, certainly not in rugby. <laughs> No, I think, um, I think unfortunately rugby is still behind other professional sports. I mean, the whole time I was at Worcester, we never had an official psychologist. And my time at WAS, we never had a psychologist. If you needed to get a sports psychologist, it was all off your own back in your own time. And I just think it's one of those areas that hasn't, hasn't been implemented it's a bit like I got in a conversation the other day about nutritional advice whilst in the club environment. And you have sort of four or five strength and conditioning coaches that are on site every day, same as the physio department. Um, but in terms of nutrition or psychology, the psychologist wasn't there or nutritionist would only come once every six weeks or so. And that's not to say that the sport, the conditioners don't help you or the nutritionists don't plan things like match day food. There is support. It's just, it's not, it's not there that, on tap that people would think and you think about things like physio you you could get treatment before a session after a session twice a day or if you needed sports massage or whatever it is you get almost 24-hour service and sports psychology you have to go and find it yourself that's and that was just intriguing. my yeah that's just my experience from the two clubs I was at I think other clubs did run it slightly differently and I think as each year goes by and the, the sport's been professional for I think it was 97 it went professional. Um, so as years go on and they see the importance of it and also it's not just from a welfare point of view but also from developing team ethos and trying to get you better and perform better, I think there's a lot more attention being paid to it. Well, I mean, there's no stone unturned for uh, Novak Djokovic or, or Ronaldo um, when they're trying to get that 
extra little bit. And um, one of the books I read most recently, I've read a couple of books about sleep. Um, and Nick Littlehouse, he he became sleep coach for Manchester United football team. So did did they ever implement anything like that with regards to how much sleep you would need to have to to be able to function properly, obviously on the pitch? No, not really. I mean, again, I think it just comes down to because you see things like um, Team Sky when they're in the Tour de France, they, they'll take their own mattresses and pillows and quilts yeah. to each hotel for that exact reason of keeping things the same routine and that people have different demands when they want to sleep, etc. I just think that certain sports take certain amounts of time to catch up to the importance of it. I mean, I, I remember GPS units for rugby didn't come in at the start of my career and I think it was the Aussie rules the AFL in Australia that were the kind of pioneers of that and then we take sort of five six years to catch up and I think whichever way you look at it whether it's psychology or physios or nutrition or whatever it is each sport you obviously have the people at the front pushing it and then other people cotton onto it and catch up I just think it's one of those things when you're talking about, say, for example, nutrition, because that was one of the things, because obviously you look amazing now. You've done um, a cover model shoot. Um, now, you were a bigger guy on the rugby pitch. And mm. I dare I say, it, nutrition isn't up there, is it? I mean, it, it, it is classed as um, pretty much eat, fill your boots. You need to be as strong as an ox. But the actual quality of the food, I mean was there any focus on the nutrition because you, you must see that now because i mean how much weight have you actually lost uh about 28 kilos from my heaviest playing days wow yeah that That's was it's kind of by accident it wasn't designed i didn't set out to lose that much but um yeah i think again across my career i remember my early days at worcester in particular uh, especially as an academy player i would never have known what nutrition was in terms of the importance of it it was eat whatever you can to get to a certain weight particularly in my position and then as your career goes on you do start to whether it's other players or other players from other clubs or researching things yourself or if a new conditioner comes into the club that's had prior experience you get drip fed the importance of it i remember i had a my first ever shoulder injury i had an operation and i kind of thought back then i think i was 20 21 or something and I, I saw it as a badge of honor because when you're growing up you see all these older players coming back from surgery in their off season I thought well this is just what rugby players do and you see the surgeon he said right have, have your operation you're back on the 1st of September and I kind of thought naively that once you've had surgery they fix it to the point where it was the same as it was before played that season and I re-dislocated my shoulder Ooh. and I had a chat with um, our overseas player, the big big player of the club at the time. And we're in the shower and he, he kind of had a go at me a little bit. I was like, well, why don't you look after yourself? Why don't you eat this or do this or do this extra prehab? I was like, what's prehab? I've only ever heard of rehab. And just seeing somebody from a more professional environment that had played for Australia for 10 years and been voted super rugby pro there and all this sort of stuff. I was like, wow, maybe there are different ways of doing this. And, He's like, well, your shoulder won't ever be the same. I mean, you need to look after it because you've only got one body. And it just completely changed my mindset to how you should conduct yourself as a professional. Um, it was really, really something that I'd never, ever been exposed to before. And just a simple conversation in the shower, almost being told off by this guy that you looked up to. 
made me reassess my whole way of living as a professional athlete. So do you think, um, as you said, that rugby is behind uh, some of the other sports in that respect? Would you say that's the same for nutrition, but that will evolve? And will there be, you know, more plant-based? I'm sure there must be, not that I I could find uh, any information on it, but uh, plant-based rugby players or maybe even vegans. Um, Because there are lots of bodybuilding vegans out there. It's not a case that you can't get big on a plant-based diet but do you think that that will evolve as well yeah firstly on the nutrition side i've seen it evolve a lot across my career i mean um the clubs now if you think about it in terms of saying say you want a player to eat five or six meals a day if you can feed them three or four out of that five or six you're technically in control of what they're eating 70 percent, 75 percent of the day and if you're paying athletes to perform for you, that's the best way of controlling how they're going to perform. So a lot of clubs now, even if you don't have access to a nutritionist as such, um, you, you get a lot more. If you're training five days a week and you're getting fed 70% of your daily quota, that's, that's quite a lot of control from a club. And they'll have nutritional support in setting meal plans, etc. But it's, it more comes down to the fact that the general rule of thumb is the nutritionist turns up every sort of four to six weeks. You have your body fat done every four to six weeks. As long as you fall within your parameters, whatever that might be, as long as your body weight's within your target region and your body fat's within its target region, they kind of just let you walk back out the door. And as long as you're playing well on the pitch, they'll just let you be. Even if you were eating and they found out you're eating horrendous diet that wasn't conducive to performance, as long as you're performing well, they just leave you alone. If you fall outside of those parameters, whether your body fat's too high or you're deemed too small or too light for your position, that that's when they start a conversation. But again, I was always small or deemed small for my position. And it, you could invest in a 10 minute conversation with that nutritionist about certain ways to try and eat to get bigger properly. But the general rule of thumb was just keep eating and eating and eating and even coaches slapping your back saying go and have fish and chips now and it wasn't necessarily uh, it was just more to get you to be a certain weight so they all had confidence that you could cope at that level because you're playing against blokes at 135 kilos some weekends in my position like tanks (laughs) basically yeah that's what i mean so but surely if you are you know you went and ate those the fish and chips for example you wouldn't feel that great i mean you must know the difference having done um obviously having lost that amount of weight to do the cover model the foods that you've needed to eat now and your energy levels and how different you must feel i must admit if i could turn back the clock 15 years with what i know now and i know a lot of people say this in any walk of life but particularly around the training element and the nutrition side, I, would, I think I'd be in a much better place as a professional athlete. Um, you do feel different on the foods. And I've done um, a couple of various stages with different coaches as well. And yes, the general rule is calories in versus calories out. But until I started to work with Chris and Wade at Spearman Fitness, it wasn't, I didn't truly believe in the quality of those calories that counted or the timing of those calories. And when you get into trying to prepare for something like that shoot, it really does matter about what you put inside your body, but also the timing of it. And I, I think there's so much that could get transferred into a professional environment, not just 
preparing for a match, but also preparing for sessions. And uh, I think they miss a trick with that, personally. Well, maybe that's something that will involve, uh, evolve over time. But like you say, um, Chris and Wade from Spearmint Fitness, uh, obviously we, that's how we've met through, through the um, Freedom Coach. Um, Freedom Coach. Oh, now I've got the name wrong. Fitness Coach Freedom. I'll spit it out. Um, and we met on an exercise execution seminar, didn't we? So, yes, yes. Um, obviously understanding how the body works isn't just what food is fuel, but obviously it's how you use that body. Um, that's a bit of an eye opener. Do, do you agree? Totally. And um, again, seeing the difference in some of those execution of movements and understanding the way the body moves and the muscles, the position of them, which direction they're actually in, how you try and manipulate that to, to get them to grow in their most efficient way. I think, again, a lot of that could transfer. I know there's, there's the thing that a lot of people don't understand is there's time pressure as well in terms of rugby. So if you've only got a five-week off-season, you tend to want to let the players go on holiday for five weeks. And then if you've only got an eight-week pre-season and three of those weeks have games, you've kind of got like a five-week window to do all your physical preparation for a whole season. So you can't really grow tissue in that period of time. No. And when you get into the games and they're going thick and fat every weekend and there's some big important games um, in that time, it's, it's kind of maintenance phase. Well, recovery do, as well, isn't it? Just well, trying yeah, to get your you body to You have to balance to all of it. But I think that if you could reduce stress on joints and reduce some of the weight that we've spoken about on those execution weekends then they would still be able to get benefits moving forward without compromising health and safety elements and i think um i think they could learn a lot from some of those the stuff that we've we've seen and spoken about i know i've benefited from it in my own training and training clients yes that's true i mean and the other thing is obviously when you get older you do see that rugby players in older age are struggling to, to move, <laughs> yeah. move their body you know so yeah it, I'm feeling that now. Are you? I do notice the difference, yeah. As soon as I retired, I didn't train for a period of time. And it got really, really bad that I had to go and train just to... I, I was in the taxi. I couldn't open the taxi with my right hand because my shoulder. Oh, wow. I just... Yeah, and that's that was two months from playing and basically having switched off. I, I'm dreading 10 years' time at the moment. So it's definitely keep the body moving. Definitely. Just keeping muscles active and some muscle mass and just generally moving as many times as I can or, or staying as health, healthy as I can. And um, I, I do notice the difference big time. I actually had a little bit of time off after the shoot over Christmas. And even then, sort of the 10-day period, I felt different just moving around with the kids and stuff. So obviously you have had a few injuries there. You've talking about the hamstring mm. and the shoulder, and you also had a knee injury as well, didn't you? Yeah. So I've had some it, pretty big injuries actually across my career. Yeah. So again, going back to the mindset on that, um, obviously, did you feel that you could apply the same principles for each injury to get yourself back, or or was it different on each occasion? And did you ever have any fear that you wouldn't then be fully fit? Uh, right up until the end, I didn't have any fear about not being fully fit. And even my knee injury that uh, 
sort of weighed in towards my decision for retiring. It wasn't actually a clear cut, you are retiring from injury. But the way I kind of describe it to people and the easiest way to understand is every time you got injured, whether it was two weeks, four weeks or six months out, it was like going to the well and having to drain all that resource to get yourself back up because it is really hard while you're injured mentally um, for all sorts of different reasons. And because if you have so many injuries, you kind of go back to that well the final time and it's just, you dry, you just can't do it mentally. And the reasons why it's so hard mentally is because not only do you have the, you have that feeling. I remember I ruptured my tricep in one game Oof. and I kind of knew straight away. I'd literally, I, I felt like the noise was like a shirt ripping and the physio came running on. Mm. I said, just check my shirt, please. And he's like, the shirt's fine. So I think I've ruptured my tricep. He said, no, there's, there's no way you could do that. I, I remember being really calm. I wasn't in agony or anything. I was just like, I think I've done it. So they took me off. You kind of have to wait about 48 hours before you can get a scan and because the game's on a Saturday, nothing's open on a Sunday. And then by the time you go in on the Monday, get checked and sent for the scan and then see a consultant. There's kind of three days and every little twinge, you're like, definitely ruptured it. And then it feels okay. And you're like, maybe it's all right. Maybe they'll tell me good news and they'll, they'll all the boys take the mick out of me for being a wimp. And then you see the consultant and you're like, you, he's like, right, you need an operation. You're out for three to four months. And you just, that moment when he tells you, you just, your whole world feels like it's falling apart. Even if, you've had, say, four, yeah, down, even if you've like... had four or five of them and you become more experienced, you just think, really? Well, like, it's the day before you're about to go into England camp. And you just think, not now. And then you have this realization of literally starting from scratch. So you have to sit and watch the boys train every day for four months. And when you say this to people, they're like, what, what do you mean? Uh, but you, you kind of work on an opposite schedule to the rest of the squad. So if they're all outside on the pitch, that means that the physio room and the gym are empty. When they're in the gym, the physio room is empty. So you kind of follow them around the club doing the exact opposite routine. So there might be six or seven of you in that group, but the 32 other boys, or whatever it is, you don't really interact with them. And you're kind of excluded from the group. And it's no fault of the club and it's just the way it is because of resources. So it could be a really lonely place at times. And also you've got the element of you come back and you're doing kind of a, a tricep extension or a bench press or something, and you've literally got a two kilo dumbbell in your hand. And then it's a race against time to hit certain parameters to be allowed back on the pitch. And then even though it is 14, 16 weeks, whatever it is, you've still got like a two, three week build up to being back to your best and playing and feeling comfortable. And it just takes a lot out of you mentally. And it's hard watching the boys because you're, you're getting paid to try and help Wasps win games or Worcester win games or whoever it is. And you're sat there not able to even contribute in training. But also you, you get stuck on all like the, the corporate side of it on match day. You've got all these people asking about who's going to win or this guy played well or what's the result going to be or how long to your back. And you're doing that for 14 weeks and it just becomes. Wow. This constant cycle of, I just wish I wasn't injured. It's really hard mentally. And also, when you think about it, men typically keep their feelings quite close to the chest. Uh, women are more able or willing to open up. And I would imagine that bravado there on the, in the team is that you don't open up. So you have to keep those emotions bottled up. Would you say? And then does that then, so on a daily basis, did you do something to, to, to psych yourself up and, and 
did you have inspirational people that you could look towards to to keep you in the zone that you knew that you could get back no i think uh, being really honest here i don't think that was something that really crossed my mind too often there were certain injuries that if it was pre kind of a camp or an england set of fixtures or something you had a bit of motivation in the back to get back as quick as you could but i think from a really selfish point of view and i don't know if this is the same for everyone but i think you you kind of lean on the physios and the conditioners because you interact with them every day so you might go in in a terrible mood or the six or seven of the boys that are injured all it takes is one person to be really grumpy or fed up with the world and come in even if it's something at home and the first wait session of the day might be nine o'clock in the morning and the six or seven of you there one person starts moaning and then before you know it, all seven are moaning about something and then it's the conditioners that try and pick you up and motivate you um, it's quite a energy draining environment a lot of the time yes boys are having a laugh and the the injured boys might arrange to go for a coffee and almost pretend that they're their own little group or something but i think 90 percent of the time you you kind of try and feed off the conditions or the physios and i'm sure it's really draining for them mentally but that they try and bring the energy to that group wow that is the, i mean that's a completely different side isn't it that's sort of the unseen side the pressure uh, the mental aspect of it that we just don't see. We just see you on the pitch and you being ready and primed to play. Um, it's, a, it's a tough call. It's a tough call. I mean, how have you taken all of that to where you are now and how do you think that's helped you as a person? That's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, I really struggled for a long period of time in terms of um, coming to a decision to finish rugby and then being faced with the, the realization of, we, we joke about it being called real world. But it's hard coming out of professional sport and trying to find a job. And I had that battle in my head. It was hard, but I kind of fell into the, the route of the fitness industry by accident. I was actually, I'd always had my head on trying to be a teacher slash rugby coach in a school. And I was applying for jobs and doing some work experience. And it was really difficult to try and open some doors. And I thought, why not try and develop a few extra qualifications and strings to my bow so it look a bit more attractive? And one of the first things that popped up was a PT qualification. And I smashed it out in a couple of weeks and thoroughly enjoyed it. And then ended up helping like my mom across a summer holiday and this sort of thing. And then... Um, started working at a school in September and it was part-time so I did a few um, shifts at gyms in the morning and then before I know it come October time I'd open my own business whilst working at school and got clients on board and I was um, actually sat talking to somebody the other day and I think the biggest thing and whether it's been my own experience through going tough times or having had people help me at various stages, the biggest thing I find rewarding, whether it's helping children understand rugby or develop or see them start a new skill or whether it's helping a lady go to the gym for the first time because she's nervous or lose a few pounds and see that look on her face. I just think it's helping people and seeing them progress as individuals. That is my biggest driver. I don't know where it's come from and I don't know why it's there. I don't know if it's something that's happened to me that's, but I just love helping people and seeing them realize their full potential. 
or, or at least go some way to help and open their eyes. But when you think of all your experience in life and the rugby playing, um, you've got so much to offer and you're that much further ahead of these people to be able to impart that. And you've obviously hit darker times through injuries than, and then people will. So you can relate to every person, can't you? Yeah, I think uh, obviously when you're in it at the time, I, I think it's quite hard to, to see it like that. But when you take a step back and you realize experiences you've been through or even just to appreciate and be grateful for the people that have helped me along the way, whether it's my mum and dad driving me to practices or to trials or uh, just being there at the end of the phone or coaches across my career or whatever it is, you, you actually sit and think, well, I haven't got to where I've got to just on my own. I've had help and I've needed help and some people have helped me more than others. And then when you get that opportunity to sit down and truly listen to someone and then try and solve an issue in their life, or even if it is an under 12 rugby player catching passive for the first time or scoring a try and just see that elation that they realize they can actually do something. I just think it's such a wonderful thing to be able to do. And um, being able to combine the both at the moment is, is really, really rewarding. So it's a, it is a vocation, but I agree with you as well. I mean, I've come into this business later in life and I think um, I'd do it for free if, if all my bills were paid for um, because I absolutely thoroughly enjoy it. And it is for that reason to help other people. And, and it's not always about, even as a PT, it's not always just about the fitness element. It is the mindset. And that's what I'm finding, that it's so much about the individual. Um, you are almost... Uh, counselling uh, alongside um, their session if, if required um, because there's so much that happens in, in everyone's life and I think it's that one moment where you could almost say that's a time where they can zone out um, and maybe be at one with their body or with you getting them where they need to be with the certain exercises but I certainly operate that mind-muscle connection and try to get them to really be mindful in their session um so that it's not just a case of whacking out the reps um and sets but to really feel that contraction and that's where that uh, exercise execution seminar uh, workshop really 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 helped me and, and helped me drill down into knowing that i wanted to go more in the mindset element of the fitness both inside the gym but also outside and so when we're talking about mindset and and being inspired so who who inspires you the most at the moment um well i i take a lot of inspiration from ben bakulski and i don't know if it's just because he says things in a certain way that resonate with me or if it's because we share similar outlook on life but i love listening to him talk on his podcast and amazing isn't he yeah unbelievable and trying to learn some of his techniques, even though it's, it's via Chris, um, is just mind-blowing in many ways. And then Chris himself has this unbelievable ability when you, you, you either meet him or you, you, even if you're sat on a computer screen talking to him, and he just makes you come off the, the call and you fully believe 100%. You almost have this spring in your step. And you're like, right, <laughs> give me whatever that whatever that task is that you've been talking about you're like right let's go and do that right now because i'm going to smash it he said and didn't he, he that that's his yeah, gift then, to, to get but then um, <laughs> people 
But then you might get distracted for an hour or have to go and, I don't know, pick the kids up or do the shopping or something. You come back, you're like, I wish I could just ring him again because I'm about to do that <laughs> task and just have that chat for five minutes now and then absolutely nail it. I don't know what it is, but um, you talk about in terms of not so much inspiration as such, but in terms of a helping hand or almost a, a counsellor from a training point of view. Um, Wade was my coach through the prep for the shoot. And I think I had an eight week prep and the first five weeks, honestly, I wouldn't really have noticed too much of being in prep. It was quite easy. And then I had an absolute meltdown about two weeks out from the shoot. Like I, I filled out the type form, I was swearing all over the place, uh, left him a voice note on WhatsApp, swearing all over the place. I literally, if I could have thrown the towel in that day, at that moment I probably would have it came out of nowhere I don't even know why it came and he took his time and rang me and spoke to me unbelievably well and all, like you said almost just listened to me moan gave me solutions and within half an hour of him giving up his time and just caring he got me back in a place where I could hit certain targets over the next few days and then attack that final week. And the final week actually became really easy on the back of it. And I was, I was ready. It's, it is, I think obviously because you're restricted in those calories at that point, um, whether you're hungry or not, the body has had to adjust. Um, and, and you almost like hit a wall, don't you? Yeah. I don't know where it came from and I don't know if he thought it was coming or not, but, um, just, I don't think I'd have gone through with it if it hadn't been for that call, if he'd have taken an extra eight hours to get back to me, I think I'd have jacked it in. And, wow. uh, well, well done yeah. Wade. <laughs> if he yeah, ever definitely. happens to listen to this, but also he understands from obviously he's competing um, bodybuilding. He understands the, the, that uh, cutting phase and, and getting ready, obviously. Um, and how difficult it will be. And, and again, it's just that he's so many more steps ahead of yourself. Um, and in part yeah and I think that's you touched on it maybe something I don't maybe acknowledge myself as much but that was one of the main reasons for doing it obviously there was some promotional tools on the back of it but to be able to share experience because I've shared experiences from a a sporting point of view been exposed to various training methods across my career but then to add in a big weight loss a body transformation and then a prep I feel like I'm in a position then to talk with a bit more confidence and authority to other people that need help in that scenario. And obviously if someone came to me recovering from an injury, I'd feel quite comfortable talking about that because I've been through it numerous times. I'd never taken myself to that point before. So a lot of the reason for doing it was to then to be able to resonate with, I don't even know if I'll get a client that wants to go to that extreme, but it was to be able to experience it firsthand and then, be able to impart some knowledge or tips how to cope through that stage so what what biggest uh, piece of advice would you give i'm actually gonna be doing a cover model shoot um haven't actually booked the date i've got to sort that out but um i'm gonna be going through that process myself now so again for the same reason as you as a, a learning journey so that i can understand and empathize and obviously see where my body transforms hopefully <laughs> so what what bits of advice would you give to someone else that's going through it like myself um I, a big thing for me was adherence 
And I think my wobble came from, I, I didn't know if I could see out the plan a hundred percent. And I think that made me feel like a failure. So that relationship with Wade or your coach, whoever it is at that moment in time, I think is the critical point. I think if you can lean on them and talk honestly and openly with them, I think, I think that is the, the key because I think about two weeks prior to that, um, I actually felt okay, but I think I was describing that I was just generally hungry. And I think he said, look, you need to be in contact with me. You need to be honest with me because the last thing we need is you literally hiding the fact that you're overeating or whatever. We need this to look good. And I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but then as soon as I did need him and I needed to be honest that I was literally about to throw the towel in, he, he handled it brilliantly and gave me options that then meant that it was my decision to carry on. I think when you put that onus back on to the, the person doing it, they find the reasons why they want to instead of the coach just telling them you have to do this. And once the, the client or whoever it is, if you get to this point, once you find out why you want to do something, it's a pretty powerful motivator if you truly believe in why you're doing it. And by having that conversation and being honest with Wade and Wade being honest with me, in the space of 25, 30 minutes, it completely changed my mindset. And like I said, after that point, it actually became quite easy. Do you so that say, would be my biggest advice. So it is that, and when you think about it, is you being a personal trainer, you can understand the importance of that relationship as a coach with your client. Yeah, I think um, my experience as a sport, whether it's been good or bad, I think a lot of it comes down to that personal relationship. Whether it's a coach or a player, I think, understanding how individuals work or how they need to be spoken to i think is one of the key things with life and for i don't know if wade's good at it all the time or if it's just because we get on really well but he handled me in that particular instance really really well and like i said i don't think i would have seen it through if it hadn't been for him in that moment i'm sure you're probably not the only person that has had that uh, wobble because um, I, I have read and heard about those instances because you are just that hungry at the end. Um, and it is that those final stages, isn't it? So I'm, I'm just hoping that I can uh, get through and sit all the way through to the end and um, obviously do myself proud. What um, muscle groups did you enjoy working the most when you were training, obviously for the shoot? I, I do honestly enjoy training legs and I'm not sure if that's come from my time in rugby. I really enjoy leg training. Uh, I've never been a huge fan of shoulder and push exercises, I think because of my shoulder troubles across my career in the early stages of my career. Um, but I just saw the weights as a, a kind of necessity. And at the beginning part of my prep, I didn't have much cardio. So a lot of my time was spent focusing on the weight stuff. And I think that's where my attention went to. But I, if I could pick any part, it sounds really strange. I'm not sure many other people would agree with this, but legs are my go-to. I love a leg session. I love that feeling after a leg session. Yeah, I, I did a, a session on Friday and I was still, well, it's still slightly sore today. I've done another leg session today, but um, they were still properly sore, right royally sore. But I, like you say, um, felt quite pleased. Legs have never really been uh, the muscle group that I've enjoyed. It was more sort of shoulders that I've preferred. But, I think that's because I, I knew it was quite difficult and that's the part of the body that I want to change the most. So you've just got to put in the work, haven't you? I'll tell you what, I saw that video. You know that lying hamstring curl? All right. With the yeah. dumbbell. <laughs> I'm really struggling with that. 
I literally can't get past two or three kilos. It's, I'm really bad at it. It's it's well, I that I had to sit down. Um, that properly properly yeah. exhausted me. Um, but like they say, it really is down to different people of either needing that that weight to to fill the force. But I try to implement that with my clients now. Um, but it's it's a great one, isn't it? Because it shows you that you can apply as much force with lower weight. Therefore, there's less likelihood of you getting injured. Definitely. And I think uh, I think that's really surprising for for general public, the, the, whether it's that hamstring one or whether it's um, a dumbbell bench press or shoulder press or something, or a lat raise, and showing them that you can fully fully fatigue a muscle or get a huge response in terms of like that feeling of a pump type thing with a two kilo dumbbell in your hand is is almost mind blowing for people, and they they expect you to give them a fifteen twenty whatever it is, and and be falling off the bench after it and then to get that feeling from a two kilo dump they're like what is going on it just changes everybody's mindset to training it just goes to show you how how many people just assume that it is from the load that you can generate muscle growth and it's not it's actually that mind muscle connection which i say my, my clients will, will know that i i say it all the time so really zone in but a lot of people are mindlessly um pushing the weights up um, and probably not even fully aware of which muscles they are activating in that particular exercise. Um, but it is almost like a form of meditation if you, if you do it correctly, because you will zone out. You won't know anyone else in the gym or see them when you're doing your exercise. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never appreciated that. And I always used to be the type of person that would do extra training, partly to get confidence in my performance, but also from I used to find it as a, a big stress reliever. So I'd go and do a session on my own and put my headphones in or something. But I, looking back, I think I wasted so much time in the gym. It was only the other day I actually heard Ben talking on his podcast about that element of being so focused on that particular exercise that you don't even pay attention to the music in the gym. So I've actually tried to um, try and focus on that. And I've stopped wearing headphones in the gym the last couple of sessions. And you walk in and you're like, oh gosh, that music's on, that's loud, and they really want to listen to that. But when you truly, truly focus on trying to perform that exercise to the best of your ability, whether it's combining that element of technique and going to fatigue, you you truly don't. And it's actually an unbelievable experience to experience that and, that and acknowledge it. It's a whole different training experience, isn't it? And, it, and yeah. that's what's so uh, fascinating and interesting to, to understand. I mean, that's certainly the angle that I've gone down. Obviously, being female, I'm not going to be uh, lifting huge amounts of weights. Uh, it resonates with me, undoubtedly, the mind-muscle connection and, and how we can get that growth, that stimulation, um, literally by using more force i mean i read a study where they um i think it was they you know like one two two groups one one group with uh no dumbbells um just had to imagine they were curling bicep curling a 5kg dumbbell and one group that were and they tested them over time and there was minimal difference between the muscle growth on both groups so it just goes to show you how strong and important the mind is in exercising as it is with everything else because we've sort of wrapped that up with mindset um, outside the gym so going into one of the other questions is obviously i want to um 
let you go because I know you're you've got such a busy day tomorrow um what piece of best and you sort of touched on this but what so wrapping it up what would be the best piece of advice you would give your younger self now with what you know I think it's to go and seek help and advice and guidance from other people I think I was probably too caught up in in what I was doing and that merry-go-round of feeling stressed out about games or getting ready for the next game or rugby was the most important thing in the world to stepping outside of that and then going and seeking help. And I did do it to a certain degree with the sports psychologist, but that, that became out of necessity. I needed that for my own confidence rather than picking apart areas of my life, whether it was meditation or help with nutrition or help with recovering from injuries or whatever it was, I think I left it far too late. And if I could advise my younger self, that would be my, my area. Go and seek help from people that actually know what they're doing and can benefit your life. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, that's really insightful, Matt. Um, it's been amazing to speak to you and hear your story. Um, and I just think with everything you've just said and the person you are, obviously I've only met you a couple of times and, and then we've obviously been on mastermind calls, etc. but you've got um, a real gentleness about you, even being a rugby player, but <laughs> a, a lot more depth there that you can just tell that you, you know, anyone that you train, well, they're very lucky to, to be trained by you. So just keep going with what you're doing. And um, obviously lovely to have you on the podcast again um you know future down the line to see where you're at and how many lives you are changing but i just want to say matt thank you very much for coming on the planted mindset podcast it's my pleasure thank you for everything you've just said as well i appreciate it and thanks for inviting me on you're welcome you're welcome